Hey, everybody. Chase Nobles here, founder of Kush.com. Really excited to have Big Pete on with us from Ara CBD. And uh, he's going to be telling us a little bit about what he does, his background, and where he sees the industry going. And uh, we're really excited to have you on. Welcome on, Pete. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Appreciate the, the illustrious intro that hopefully I'm worthy of someday. Um, so let's, I think the best way to explain what we do is kind of go back in time just a minute to when I got into this industry. So um, I was a weed slinger back in the 80s. I'm 54 now. So back in the 80s, we were slinging weed and everything else. And that shit was shit. So uh, fast forward to when I was 45. And, and let me let me qualify that real quick, Pete. Sorry to interrupt you there. But yeah. In the California market too, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. So, and I think it's important to kind of reference where where you were whenever you were, yeah. you know, in the cannabis industry in the 80s, because California has gone through this unbelievable transition. Yes. And there's still a lot of Wild West mentality to it based on the history that started back in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s that still persists today. So what was that like? And, 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 how do you, how do you, how do you take the lessons you learned there and apply them to the business that you're in now? I think the fundamental one is back then, since the risk of apprehension and the time that you were going to do were significant, it was the trust factor. So if I didn't know you, you weren't getting anything from me. If I knew you, I would give you everything that I had, no matter how. And every, every link in the chain from the end consumer to the guy who's buying bulk, we all had to have a respect for each other and we had to have a trust in each other. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the wild, wild west. Yeah, back then, if you got busted and you named somebody, you were getting a beat down or worse. That's that's maybe some of the little parts of the 80s that I miss is because now you got to be all litigious and shit like that. Uh, but back then, I think the most fundamental thing that, that actually ends up being the foundation to all the businesses I've ever been in is you have to have an established trust that's unbreachable between you and your clients and you and your vendors. And if you can establish that, then you never have to worry anything. You know, you fast forward now 30, shit, 36 years later, fast forward 36 years later, I have to have that same trust. So I have certain labs that we deal with. I don't even question them. I place my order. I got a sales rep. I'll send her a text message, say X, Y, and Z. The accounting sends me an email. I do a wire. It's done. They send me COAs with everything they do. I never even, I, I don't check them to verify the source. I check them for the science. And so I think trust was the biggest thing. The thing about the wild, wild west back in the eighties and juxtaposed to what we have now is you have the people who are still in love with that mentality of like, you know, I'm slinging weed. Look, I look, I'm 54 and I'm still using verbiage that maybe I shouldn't be using. I should be more of a, an entrepreneur. I'm a wiser person, but you know, we're still slinging weed to this day, but there's something passionate about it. I mean, how many guys who are in the weed industry actually have a picture of Tony Montana on their wall in their office? Because, you know, there's, it's been glorified so many years. Um, that's not really true anymore. Now it's more business. So when we're dealing in a situation now where we're actually transacting with people and we see these guys who think they're still, you know, a Tony Montana type, um, one, I usually shut them down pretty quick. I'll walk away from the deal. I don't care how much money is to be made because when somebody is more focused on themselves and their, their, how they present themselves as being, you know, a player or whatever versus are you there just for business? I mean, that's, that's integral to how we run and how we, 
how we stay in business, we'll walk away from those people. I don't miss that part of the wild, wild west bullshit with, you know, you know, flashy cars, flashy diamonds, even though I see it every single day now, man, I'm just, you know, I, I, I it's going to sound cocky, but so we make, we make good money. Like, I'm not going to lie to you that, but we spend a lot of time giving our money away. Um, I have a client in Minnesota who works with uh, uh, Johns Hopkins. We're sending him a shit ton of products for free so that the people are, no, it's not John Hopkins. It's um, the Mayo Clinic. We're sending him a shit ton of products for free for Christmas so that he can actually hand it out to his clients. One, because COVID two, because it's Christmas time, but three, I think it's important that we always give back, always find a way to give back. Um, when I'm dealing with my clients in downtown LA, man, I'm always handing people money or I'll hand them product that they're particularly looking for. And it's not for my absolution because I'm doing something wrong, but I really feel committed that we as an industry have to constantly give back. So I'd rather make a lot of money and give it all away than get a lot of money and then yeah, look at my whatever and look at my you know Rolex presidential or, oh, sorry, that's just an Apple iWatch. But um you know, I, I would rather be in that. So Wild West, yeah, the pretenders are still trying to be there. I think everybody else is pretty much business. But what came out of that, though, Big P, is the trust factor, right? And culture Absolutely. in an organization is really important. And it sounds like trust is really important to you, which I'm sure is permeated over. So um, it's good to know that about you, especially for anybody that is considering doing business with you or anybody watching this, that trust is a, a paramount piece. There's, there's, there's a lot of different people in this industry there's the people that have seen what you've seen and kind of lived what you've lived and and dealt with the challenges and the issues that come with that um you know we we we've had a presence in the california market you know i did a two-week tour down there to meet all the old school farmers that were going over to wreck and mm -hmm. it's an it's an interesting story but there's also a culture around that right and um especially a culture on the people that are trying to do things the right way as well and so I, I believe that that's probably permeated into the culture of your business. Do you mind telling us a little bit about what you all do and and what the business that you've built uh, in hemp? Uh, it sounds like you might still be in the cannabis industry. Just give us a little overview of what you do. Yeah, so I, I don't. So we're a little bit in the cannabis business, but that's more like a side project. So I, when people call me about that, that's, that's not our focus. And I don't even want to go down that road. Mostly consulting kind of thing. Yeah. If. Even that, I still keep that under wraps. Um, on the hemp side uh, of things, so we're brand incubator. I think that is probably the most cliche, but probably the best definition. I like it when people come to me and they have an organic idea. And they're like, hey, this is what I want to do. And then it's a matter of having a conversation and building a brand new relationship. It's almost like, you know, you meet that person in a bar and you, you, you hit it off with that person now you're going to go sit down and you're going to talk for hours and figure out how to get to know each other, everything else. And then we take from their organic ideas. And what we start to do is we start to build on those. And one thing, because I'm blunt and I really don't give a shit what anybody says to me because it's, it, that's, that doesn't bother me, but they also have to be thick skinned enough that whatever I say to them, that they get, they can take it back. I need to know what they're really good at. And I usually tell them, you do what you're good at. I'll do what I'm good at. And let's figure out how to get married in that space. And then we can develop and grow with you. And we can come up with certain ideas. Um, that's what it's always been about. It's always been unique things. Like I have. So, uh, and so what would you say RSCBD is great at? What sets you apart 
how, how do you, you know, when you're talking with a client and you say, what are you good at? Here's what I'm good at. What, what, what fits into that category for you all? So I'm not going to name this, but this is a product that was just handed to me. And what they told me is like, how do we get something like that? That is good for all of these things, but we need to build it from scratch and we need to get it out to the masses. So I'm not going to take this box, rip it apart, send it in for testing and try and figure out the formulation that way. I'm going to take this product and understand how it actually helps the end, you know, the end user and then figure out how we can create some kind of a formula that the client can actually hand to the end user at a realistic price to the client, the client to the end user, and how we can do it without with still respecting who originally came up with this formula. Like I'm not going to re replicate their formula. That's what we're good at is you come to us and say, I love this product. How can I make this product better? And how can I get it to the masses with, you know, with any one of the terpenes or any one of the CBD products inside of it? That's what we excel at. So you're, when you say you're a brand incubator, right? Mm -hmm. It sounds like primarily in the product formulations, packaging, everything from there, right? So you're, who's your typical client? If somebody, it, you know, and it sounds like you do a lot of different things for people, but right. who's contacting you to, who, who's kind of the ideal person that contacts you and, and can use your help? I think the, the, the person, so my favorite person is, you see this box right there? Yeah. I'm not going to focus in on it. So they came to me a year ago. I said, we got this whack-ass idea. I'm like, what do you know about CBD? Nada. What do you know about hemp? Nothing. But this is our market, and we want to come up with something that represents our brand that has nothing to do with CBD. These guys are jujitsu fighters. They want something that represents them to their, to their gyms, to you know all the people that follow them, so that they create this, oh, hey, well, if they're good at fighting, they should be good at this other product that they're selling. That is my favorite client because we get to come up with some wacky ass notions and like, it's not a promo for them. So we're not gonna pull that box apart, but that's a gift box and it holds 15 to 20 different products inside of it. And it's completely branded on the entire six sides outside, six sides inside. So no matter what they look. So we took it from concept and we have flavors. We have a tincture that's chamoy. We have a flavor that's coffee. We have one that's mango, but it's mango on a whole new level. And because this is exactly a, in this 100% represents who the guys are who are selling this product. So when you hit one of their gummies or you hit one of their tinctures, you like, you automatically think of Geo and Boogie. That's exactly who you start thinking of. Those are my favorite customers. Do they have a lot of money to start with? No, but I'm not looking for my paycheck today. I'm good. Like I retired nine years ago, not because I had to get out of an industry. I retired nine years ago because I was good. And so now I would rather sit there and go, Hey, this is a great idea. They have a good demographic that they want to serve. And can I grow with them and be with them for the next two, three, five years. And then I'll make my money over that time. Those are my favorite people to deal with. I don't care what the concept is and I don't care how long it takes. I'm not in a hurry, but let's build it, build it right. And these guys are actually starting to blow up now. That's awesome. And that's what you mean by brand incubation. You're not in it for the short-term paycheck. It nope. doesn't sound like you're going after the large contract right out of the gate. It sounds like you're looking for people that may not even be in this industry that have a market, 
that want to serve that market with a product that they know is good. Mm -hmm. And you help them through the creative process of developing that product and getting it to market with them. Right. And Mm so it's like, it's almost like being an angel investor. You're taking people that have an idea, helping them bring it to market and making money on the back end once they're successful. That's awesome. That's great. And I'm also the weird guy in the room because if they suddenly get too big for me, I will find either a co-processor or I will hand them off to another manufacturer that can handle the handle their volume because I've got 20 of those all day long. And, but I have to service all of them. And when my volume gets to where we can't have it, I am honest enough to say, you're getting too big for me. I need to switch you to this company over here. I will help you. I will make sure I will manage that project, but I'm honest enough with my brands to say, you're getting out of my comfort level. I mean, we did half a million vape cartridges in 2018 wow. and it got too much. So I handed it off to another company who was able to handle that volume almost monthly. I still get a tiny residual off of it because, hey, it was all my concept flavors, everything else. But my clients that are buying that product are serviced perfectly. I talk with the manufacturer all the time. I talk with the client all the time. And yeah, I'm not making the lion's share of the money, but on the other side is I got a client who every time he sees me wants to say hi to me. I have vendors who, when they see me, they want to say hi to me. I get salespeople like one that works for you. Every time he calls, we just shoot the shit. Yep. And I want those kind of relationships because that's what I want to be known as. Like that's the guy who's never going to piss you off. Never going to burn bridges with you. Will always be straight up with you. And if he makes money off of me, it's one because he deserves it, but he's not trying to make all the money off of me. No, and I think that's fair. And that's the people you want to work with too, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, we were talking about price before we really started the interview here. Yeah. It sounds like you have some opinions on price and business models and incentives and how they have to be aligned. I'm curious what you're seeing in the space, you know, and how you intend to address kind of the challenges around price. And where is that balance between profit margin and gouging, right? Because prices have crashed, I would say maybe 70%, if not more in the last 12 to 18 months, right? And that really affected a large portion of our network, especially the farming community. Yes. They were growing, you know, probably way more than they should have. Mm-hmm. Didn't have even a contact list of buy- potential buyers prior to growing. And then ended up, you know, are still sitting on a lot of, a lot of hemp. Um, a lot of people have stopped growing um, and the consumer market has been strong, but maybe not as big and as fast as people were hoping for. Although the potential is, you know, still there, just, you know, all the hurdles that you and I have been through having been in this industry for, you know, more than five years. It's, it's one of those things. What, what do you foresee happening with price and how do you intend to, you know, best serve your, your customers with you know, the current market conditions? So, let me let me split that apart. First off, I commend the hemp industry and the cannabis industry for suddenly from the farmers and even the guys. So everywhere from uh, cultivation up to processing for suddenly understanding that this is a commodities market. This isn't just, hey, how much can I get for it? Um, and I think they're starting to have a better understanding of how if they work together hemp industry association, things like that. If they, if they work together, they can actually 
stabilize prices and not have these massive dips on the pricing because they're gambling everything to bring in that next harvest, to bring in that next batch of oil. If they can't stabilize price, we're going to see all of them get lost. So kudos to them on that. But I see that as a commodities market. So as this, the thinning of the herd is going to happen and it's happening at a rapid rate now, you're going to look at who's handling this as a business versus who's in this just to fuck the consumer over. Um, And you're seeing that, I think, more and more every day. Uh, I think I mentioned to Joe the other day, um, I got an argument with in one of my CBD groups that I just skim through every once in a while. The guy's like, yeah, don't ever bring the wholesale price down below 39 bucks for a thousand milligram tinctures. And I was just like, wait, what? So CBD distillate costs us sub dollar uh, for good stuff, Cat 3. We got the bottle, we got some MCT, we got some flavor. Maybe we do some terpenes, everything else. Man, you're in this thing for five if you're buying shit off of Amazon in super low quantities and you want to make sure that everybody's getting a $35 profit margin on it. And then they have to sell it to the retailer who's going to double it. And then the consumer who has access to a medicine has to now fork out 80 bucks for a thousand milligram tincture. I think that is, it's abhorrent. It's usury. And I think you're an idiot if you pull that. So I think what we need to do is we need to stabilize where prices are. We need to find that sweet spot in in every single market from micro market, like my immediate five mile radius from me here to regionally to nationwide. Everything should have different targets, but they should all should be relatively close. The end of the day, you need to look at who's your consumer. And if you're harming them by ripping them off and taking too much money out of the pocket, one, you shouldn't be in this industry. But two, I think you need to have kind of a reality check because eventually that customer who's paying too much is going to find my clients and go, hey, I'm getting something that's the same or better for half the price. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's validity to that. Like we like, look at Scarelli, the asshole, not only did he buy the last Wu-Tang Clan, there was a one issue Wu-Tang Clan album. That You're talking bought. about the pharma guy? Yeah. Right? So the, the government sees that album. So the government actually owns a one-off Wu-Tang Clan album, but he sat there and said, hey, we're not charging enough for these fucking EpiPens. EpiPen, like the dude is like anaphylactic shock, needs an EpiPen. It's seven bucks, Grelly's takes over, and now it's 700 bucks. And it's like, you know, those days need to be way past us. We need to start mm-hmm. looking at how can we help the guy next to us? How can I send you something that helps you? I mean, we have a very strict policy in this company. If one of my people comes to me, if one of my family members, one of some, and, and I want segue here. My business partner is also my best friend, and I'm also married to her. Like it's imperative that you are that deep in how you create your organization. I'm married to my business partner. Anyway. Oh, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It is, but you know what? Like I'm big Pete for a reason. Like I'm 6'6", 320 pounds. So like, I'm really big Pete. I'm like, I'm really big Pete. So, so she tempers <laughs> me, but it's smart that you have a, you, you always have to have a partner that tempers you. But if she or someone in her world comes to us and says, so-and-so is sick and would you have a product for that? Not only do we have a product for it, we send it out and we send it out as long as the person is, is uh, you know, sick or that we can help them. We never charge for things like that. 
we have to have that hive mentality that we're here to help people because I think that pays dividends over the long run because now it's like, hey, that dude always helps us out. I'm not doing it. So like, this sounds like a media pitch for my company. Like if- No, I, no, I, 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 yeah, go ahead. But I'm gonna say if 5,000 people watch this video and not one calls me, I'm okay with that. As long as at least one picks up something to help their business, I'm cool with that. Yeah. I'm okay. No, I think, I think that's a reflection of the kind of organization you want to run over there. At Mara. Mm-hmm. And my, my question falls a little bit, um, you know, a, a little bit step up in the market dynamics. We saw a massive harvest last year, like yep. way bigger than we could consume. And then all these farms, you know, with, without the ability to sell the product, you know, we were seeing, you know, 50 new listings for biomass a day on our site at one point. Right. And so you see all these, you see all these farms trying to sell their biomass and they end up, what do they end up doing? They end up splitting or, you know, they end up splitting it with a processor. Right. And so they get some oil back 60, 40 split. Now the processors cost of producing that oil doesn't have a cost of goods sold on the raw materials side. They just have oil for processing it. Right. Right. And so all their expenses is the oil, which drove the price down even further because now they're getting all this free oil, not free, but you know what I'm saying? Very cheap oil. And the prices, you know, are where they're at. Like you were saying, a dollar, five, you're putting $5 into a tincture that people are selling, you know, for a minimum of $39 to a retailer who's doubling the price to 80 or a hundred. Right. And so I'm curious, is that sustainable? We're, we're, uh, let's go with that baseline of a thousand milligram tincture, a standard tincture, you know, don't include maybe a high level miners or anything like that, which have changed the whole pricing dynamics for us. And I'll explain that in a second, because I think you'll find it interesting. What do you do about a thousand milligram tincture? Where do you think that price should be? What's kind of your high end? What's kind of your low end on, on a thousand milligram tincture, considering you know what the costs are to produce that right now? Yeah. So we have uh, our highest tier is 10,000 units. And I think we're at five and a quarter. To our lowest tier is, you want a couple of them, I think we're at 10, 17 or somewhere in that neighborhood. Wow. I think, but it's a commodity. So we get lazy and we don't teach the masses what the hell's going on. We need to also teach the very end user what's going on. So right now there's a glut in in the, the biomass, which is going to cause a glut in the oil market, which has already dropped our prices to stupid levels. When that starts to go up and we find the balance, we should have the ability to go back to the consumer and say, just like milk, just like butter, just like bread, just like gasoline and going, your base products are going up in price and we should move those up proportionally. There's a fixed cost on every single product I make that has to be there. Labor, insurance, yada, yada, all the corporate shit. And then on top of that, we have to have a profit margin in there because I got to feed the machine too to make sure that it shows up to work every single day. So that fixed cost can never change. I think your commodities should always fluctuate with what the market is. That variable cost determines your final price. Yeah. And that's where we should be. So if I go to my retailers and say 10,000 for five bucks and then, hey, it's spiked. Now my cost has gone up 60 cents. Now it's 10,000 for 560 or whatever. Mm -hmm. We should be able to have that flexibility and the end consumer needs to be taught that it's based on commodities, but we shouldn't be scalping them every single time. You know, it, it should, I would think you and I agree that it should be based like a commodity, right? 
100%. But a commodities market requires a futures market, requires long-term standing supply agreements, all kinds of infrastructure, you know, in history and guaranteed demand, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to determine what the price is going to be six months from now, because you can already buy a contract for it, right? We, we attempted to build future supply agreements on the platform. But what happened is the price kept dropping. The price dropped, you know, 20%, 30%. 60%, you know, it just kept, the curve kept getting steeper and steeper as far as how, when that hit, it hit hard. Right. Mm-hmm. And so nobody wanted to lock up future supply. If the price, you know, they don't, they have no idea what the price is going to be because there's not, there isn't that market to, to know. And so how do you work with your suppliers when it comes to the, the do, do you extract the oil yourselves or are you all purchasing distillate and isolate? And yeah, so I, I, I purchased the raw ingredients from, just a couple of labs that I trust that make that particular product. Um, so you're circling back to the wild, wild west we started out with. Mm-hmm. I think once we get rid of the mentality that you can literally say, I have these seven people who all want to sell me one pound of white widow. And I'm going to go to this guy and say, I'll give you a thousand. No, he wants 1200. Well, this guy will give me, and pretty soon, you have seven people eating themselves to try and figure out how to give me this white widow for 400 bucks. Because at the end of the day, some of them just need that cash. I think your platform for futures is maybe not lucrative now, but it gave them an idea. And I think it planted enough seeds that people are like, Hey, maybe this will work. I think it maybe needs to be fleshed out a little bit more on the cultivator side where you're like, look, we can lock you into a contract, but you got to honor the contract and we'll honor the contract. So there ends up, we need a lot more money in the system that is actually going to be dedicated. Get rid of this wild west mentality where you're constantly going, hey, well, the guy will give it to me for 13 cents less. Like you, like 13 cents, you idiot. You're going to burn this relationship for 13 cents. And then when this guy goes up 25 cents, you're going to go back to the other guy who just went up 50 cents. You know, but if it wasn't 13 cents, though, you know, whenever prices were dropping, I, I'm sure you remember it wasn't 13 cents. It was a dollar. You know, it was it was massive drops. And I don't know it. We wanted it to work so badly. We believe that it will work in the future. But it was one of those things where, you know, nobody was making money the way that they expected to. And mm-hmm. so nobody wanted to overcommit because it, there was so much instability in the market. Sure. You know, when we when we launched in the Washington recreational market, we saw prices also drop quite a bit over time. And it was every year it would drop and then it would flatline, you know, uh, at the fall, you know, winter might come back up a little bit late summer and it drop again for harvest season. Right. And then it flatline and drop again. And then five years down the line, it started starting to climb finally again. That'll happen in him, but it's going to take a lot of time just because so many people can grow and so many people want to grow that it's just, it's, it's kind of flooded the market. Yes. But you know that I know that the people who are, the people who are business minded in this industry, we get it. It's the outliers. It's the one time in it's the guys who still call up and go, I need 17,000 kilos of isolate shipped to, some nondescript country and I need that weekly. It's like, bro, 
That's like that unicorn story died like two years ago. Like, <laughs> it doesn't exist. Good right. luck. Yeah, I, I usually say good luck. Like, <laughs> but hey, you should get on Kush.com. <laughs> but actually, now I do that. I'm like, hey, just go to Kush.com. Sign up. <laughs> um, but anyway, so. I, I well, think- one of the good things about Kush.com, and I said, sorry, Big Pete, is uh, they have to go through the vetting process, you know, so, so it tempers their expectation at least maybe, you know, a week unless they, <laughs> unless they yeah, do it. But now, while you're saying that vetting process, did you also happen to mention, mention what kind of a great deal getting that annual membership to Kush.com is for everybody and how they really, when they get on there and they get vetted, they should actually consider just buying the annual membership as opposed to monthlies. Did you mention Hey, that? don't, don't make me blush over here, big Pete, but you know, we went through a big transition with, uh, with COVID where, you know, we used to have a big sales team and we used to be putting a lot of the deals, you know, some really great deals together in the space. And we realized that, you know, incentives needed to be aligned in the same way that you're talking about brand incubation. We needed to just take it down to a flat rate membership fee, not try to get a, every, you know, not try to get a dollar on every $5 deal, right? We needed to be able to support the businesses to grow and continue to create value on top of that. So that's why we did launch that membership. And I, I appreciate you saying what you said about us. We've, we've, we've gone through a bit of a transition here with, with COVID. And bro, your salesman's a hit man, dude. That, that dude is the lethal weapon. Who's that? Joe, it was a couple of times that Joe's talked to me. I was just like, you fucker, man, like, because I'm usually immune to salespeople. And this guy got me like, he's like, oh, but did you think about this? I'm like, you jerk. Like, so we've joked about it many times. Kudos to him. Great job having him as a salesman because, yeah, he's gone under my skin. Hear that, Joe? And everybody that's thinking about using Kush.com, if you if you sign up, you get a call from Joe at some point. So 100%, you do. <laughs> and the most interopportune times too. Like I've literally picked up the phone and go like, not today and click. Like he's not offended. He's a good guy. Yeah. Um, Pete, Pete I've, you know, back to you. Uh, sorry. I kind of hijacked that from you. No, 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 no. I but, hijacked uh, it for you, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to minor cannabinoids and Delta eight, yep. it, it threw a wrench into our system because we didn't have a way for people to segregate which minors that they had on their products. And whenever somebody listed CBG, you know, distillate, for example, or isolate, it changed our our uh, pricing because we have all those nice pricing charts. If you're the member, it changed all our pricing charts because it would just got thrown into the CBD distillate. But we all, we both know it's like 10x, you know, the price. Oh. How are you using miners in your products? Are you using miners in your products? And no. what? what do you see happening in that space when it comes to formulations and product development? Because that's, that's, that's what you told me is, you know, so big piece of your expertise. So let, let's touch on Delta eight. So DEA is uh, trying to screw around and there's already been, the, I think it was the hemp, uh, the hemp association. I don't remember which one of them, but they just filed a lawsuit against the DEA for overstepping their purview. Yeah. Um, so the DEA, so one, I think Delta eight is going to be around for a long time. As long as you have a very strict and a very verifiable chain of custody from the actual farmer all the way through to the uh, to you yourself. You make sure you have that total chain of custody. I, I think you'll be fine. Um, I think Delta Eight is going to be around for a while uh, because it's actually beneficial to people that are functionally high as opposed to couch lock high. Um, and what we're doing is, if you ever wanted Delta Nine X, we can give you exactly the same products Delta Eight. And they're starting to go. I mean. I'm not going to turn around and open any of my drawers, but I've got Delta 8 gummies. We've got Delta 8 tinctures, <laughs> Delta 8 vape carts. We've got all that shit already on tap. So I think Delta 8 is good and it's going to be around for a while. And I think it's going to 
it's in a trendy fad cliche moment right now. But I think once people understand the benefit of it, I think it's going to be around a lot. Um, CBG, uh, CBN. CBC, CBT. So I'm not feeling them. So let's talk about CBN. No. So CBN has a melt point of 356 degrees. So when you have CBD or THC, just the Delta 9, water bath it, break it down, everything else. When you start having to have temperatures that high, then you whole process of creating that into individual products as from, I don't believe in isolates. Um, I'm strictly the oil guy. I just isolates to me are like, you need that whole experience with it. So I'm not really feeling them. I'm feeling the terpene side of it because so CBG has one of the side, one of the side benefits of CBG. I'm not a scientist, not a doctor, not a lawyer, whatever disclaimers. CBG, (laughs) one of the side effects is that you can use it and it has a almost like an appetite suppression level. So what we've done is after we've experienced with all the CB or follow all the CXX, whatever it is, we've experimented with all of them. We've tested it out. Um, you know, I've got a group of people I send products to all the time, but test this, give me feedback. And just take anecdotal kind of, you yeah. know. And because yeah. that's legitimately the only way we can really do it now without spending, you know, $10 million on, on a, on a, um, on a white paper and getting yeah. clinical trials and things like that. So, we're actually able now to replicate most of the effects with terpenes. Um, and we have, I've got tinctures of all kinds that legitimately replicate or overemphasize what the other miners are doing. So I think there's a market for it, but right now it's still price prohibitive. Uh, so my cost on CBN is mid 12, but I'm still seeing it 30,000 plus. Like, yep. Come on, guys. Um, once we get those prices into control, I think it opens us up for being able to experiment more. I also have to think about my clientele. So while I'm always excited to say, here, try this new tincture and then get their feedback on it, I can't hand them a tincture that I went from you know a dollar's worth of distillate to now $13 worth of distillate and then have all of the you know compounding effects on top of that because now they're like, Oh, wait, no, I have to go to my new client, re-educate them on all of these things. So, and then I got to charge them double. Um, I don't, I don't personally, from my business's standpoint, I don't think we're there yet. Um, I mean, I like watching what everybody else does. I got a buddy of mine, he's CBN, everything. And we talk a lot and like, Hey, what's this work? How's it work? Everything else boil off points. And you know, how's it impacting everything else? Because to liquefy your temperature has to be higher than all the melt-off points of all your other miners in there and your turps and anything else that's an additive. Like, how are you creating the stabilities? What do your chromatograms look like? We could have these deep conversations. I think we'll get there, but right now for me, miners, not a thing. Well, you know, before we wrap this up, Pete, I there's so much information out there, yes. right? And there's so many people that want to start their own brands what's the what's the one piece of advice that you'd give somebody that's maybe in a different industry um like the jujitsu example that you gave us before that's thinking about starting their own brand is looking to work with people like yourself what's the one piece of advice that you would give them that you see people make that you know that you see people making mistakes over and over and over again because we do i'm sure you do I, i wonder what that is how committed are you that's the number one question you have to ask yourself 
are you committed to that you can start this process and a year later before you actually have something on the shelf? Are you committed enough to this process that you're going to spend all of your money and you're going to be like, I haven't made any sales or my sales are exactly what my costs are. If your level of commitment is not there, don't spend the money. Like go to an organization that's going to give it away to somebody else and let them help out. I mean, if you're going to throw your money away, do something good with it. You know, um, if you don't have that level of commitment, stay out. The second thing I think is, do you have a legitimate demographic? And I think the third is, how are you going to be unique to the market? Because right now on your platform or you go anywhere, Google, CBD, oil, 30 fucking million brands show up and they're like, hey, ours is the best. Well, there's only one best. Everybody else is second to it. Am I the best? Hell no. I'll never make that claim. Am I good? Yeah. But how do you filter that? Um, how do you set yourself? How do you make yourself unique to that? Who's it for? Why would they want it? Yep. And where the big piece of it, and I'm sure you see this in your clients and, and we see it every day because we get so many calls. How are you going to distribute it? What's your, what's your means to go to market? That's, that's one of our biggest questions whenever we're trying to vet, you know, the, the, the um, credibility of potential partners. What is your unique path to going to market? And I think I, I love the jujitsu example that you, you gave us earlier. I'm super curious who the company is. If you want to give them a shout out, feel free. Um, but after that, we, uh, we got to, we got to call this interview. This has been great, Pete. Look at that. Freaky bros. Freak bros. Freak bros. Thank you, Peter. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks brother. Likewise. Right. Have a good Bye. one. Bye.